Well, through the centuries, uh, this Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, has been uh, used to talk about Jesus' triumphal entry, or um, Palm Sunday, where Jesus was greeted with people waving leafy branches before him. Over the past few decades, the church has developed another liturgy, the Liturgy of the Cross, And it's kind of a choice that you can make. Do we focus on the cross of the Christ or do we focus upon his entrance? So I started looking back over my past records. And over the past several years, we have been focusing on the cross on this Sunday. So I thought it's time for us to go back and enter Jerusalem with Jesus today. So we're going to look at the triumphal entry as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Let's be standing, please. So we hear this, the word of God. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day What would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. May God bless the reading of his word. Good song. Question. Anyone here ever attended in person a Super Bowl? I'm not seeing any hand. Oh, is there a hand back? Okay, all right. Way to go, Keith. Keith is the only one in this room willing to admit that he has attended a Super Bowl. I never have, although the closest I came to it was being in New Orleans the week of a Super Bowl there. Now, I want to tell you that I was attending a Christian conference at that time. It's the truth. Ask Rick Brown was there. David Giddings was there. So I have, test- I have witnesses that that's what we were doing. You know, New Orleans is a crazy place anytime you go to New Orleans, but wow, Super Bowl week. 
I'm not going to tell you when this was. It would kind of date me. It was the Bears and, and Patriots were playing, so you might want to look that up if you're really curious. But anyway, it was just packed, especially that downtown area where everybody wants to go. Just people everywhere, noisy, bands playing. It was just a wild experience. Now, the reason I bring this up is that we're talking about Jerusalem today at Passover week. And Passover week for ancient Jerusalem was Super Bowl for them. Hopefully not in every way with the decadence and all, but certainly with the crowds and with the excitement. Historians tell us that Jerusalem's population grew by a factor of six during Passover week. I started to say Super Bowl week (laughs) during Passover week, meaning that for that week, there were six times as many people as normal within the walls of Jerusalem. Now, lately, y'all have noticed that San Angelo's experiencing a little bit of a growth spurt. That's kind of unusual for us. Has anyone noticed how much more traffic there really is now? And it seems like how more, it's more crowded the stores are, and there just seems to be more people out and about. Well, you can imagine if the population of San Angelo grew overnight to be six times what it is now. I mean, you can't walk down the aisles of HEB now. What would it be like, you know, if that was going on? Or think about stopping at this light over here or the one over at Sunset in Knickerbocker and having to sit through it four or five times and just people everywhere. But that still would be different from Passover week in Jerusalem because if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know what the streets are like there. In the old city of Jerusalem, the streets are very narrow. The houses are crammed together. And for this week, there were people sleeping in every possible space that someone could sleep. People were letting family members and even renting out to strangers who came and needed a place just to unroll a pad and to to sleep. And the streets were cramped and, and there were people even sleeping in the streets and there were people camped out in tents outside the city. This was the situation. This was the atmosphere that Jesus entered in his triumphal entry into the city, welcomed by the crowds with the shouting and singing. However, there's a book Marcus Borg wrote called The Last Week, referring to the last week of Jesus' life. And in that book, he makes an interesting observation that while Jesus entered Jerusalem in this great procession, His was not the only procession to enter Jerusalem that week. In fact, his may not have been even the only procession to enter on that very day. And in fact, there could have been another parade. It's possible that another procession was entering at the very moment that Jesus and his disciples entered Jerusalem. From the west came Pontius Pilate. Jesus entered from the east, coming down off Mount of Olives and through the east gate 
But from the west came Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, accompanied by Roman soldiers and Roman cavalry, representing the power of Rome, the greatest power on the earth at that time. Now, the contrast between these two parades could not have been greater. No doubt you have seen depictions in the movies of Roman processions. The one I always think about, and one you can probably see this week on TV somewhere if you want to see it, is the one that comes early on in Ben-Hur. Remember the procession where the governor is entering the city? And that's the part where Ben-Hur's sister leans over and accidentally knocks a tile off and it almost hits the governor and then his, his uh, family is arrested. And well, you know, I hope, if you don't know that story, it'll be on. Watch it. But you might can recall what it looks like for the Roman army protecting a governor entering into the city of Jerusalem. You have the infantry marching along with their bright red uniforms covered by their gold shields, holding their pylums. Bob Bruni told me what that was, that long old spear with the big thing on the top, and they're marching along, got their helmets on with the red brushes on top. I don't know what you call them, but they're pretty cool looking, aren't they? It's not the USC Trojan band, but looks a lot like that, okay? And they're marching along. Then you got the cavalry riding in, and they have the most beautiful, strongest horses in the world. They're riding along. And then come the dignitaries, like the governor, riding in, the, in, in chariots, highly ornamented. And the whole thing was meant to impress. The whole thing was meant for the people to say, wow, Rome is here. The whole thing was, sent, was meant to send the message, don't mess with us. On the other hand, the other procession was far less impressive. Loud, yes, the people were shouting and screaming and singing. But the one who came riding there was not riding in a chariot or on a war horse. He's riding on a little donkey. And the crowd that accompanied him were simple fishermen Tax collectors, prostitutes, beggars, former lepers, people who had been blind, people who had been crippled. And the cloaks that they spread before him as he rode were no doubt tattered and worn, sweat-soaked work clothes. There couldn't have been two more different parades enter into the city that day. And yet, you know, it's interesting that as different as they were, they really came with something in common. They both came for the same purpose. They both came, Pilate and Jesus, to bring peace. You see, Jerusalem at this time was not a peaceful place. And particularly Passover week was as much political as it was religious. There was insurrection in the air. 
Every time people came to Jerusalem, they began to talk about how do we get rid of the Romans? How do we push them out of our city and out of our country? There were always wild rumors running around about how this was going to happen. And this particular year, those rumors surrounded a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And there were wild hopes that he would be the king who would come and sit on the throne of David, and he would be the one that would be able to defeat this mighty Roman army that was marching into the city. Pilate, on the other hand, came to make sure that nothing of this sort happened. He knew what Jerusalem was like during Passover week. That's why he was there for Passover week, to keep the peace, to keep Pax Romana, Now, those of you who love history know what Pax Romana is. Pax Romana refers to about a 200-year period, right here in the middle of what's going on in our text today, right in the life of Jesus, in the lifetime of Paul, the lifetime of the New Testament. That was Pax Romana. That was a time in which the Romans had effectively conquered the entire world, and they ruled over the world with an iron fist. And while there were downsides to that, there were also upsides to that. Because for the first time, there was not a lot of war going on around. As we talk about sometimes when we read the passage where Paul says that Jesus came just at the right time, we point out that part of that right time was Pax Romana, because there were roads you could travel. It was safe to travel, that the Romans kept the peace. And the way they kept the peace was that if anybody caused any trouble, that was it. Jesus, on the other hand, came to bring a different kind of peace. Pax Christi, the peace of Christ, the peace of God, the peace that only God can bring, later on described by Paul as the peace of that even passes our understanding. The kind of peace that it's even difficult to wrap our minds around. But the kind of peace that we all want so badly in our lives. You know something else interesting about this? Here you have two visions of peace by two different people entering the city. And yet the interesting thing is that Each one of their visions led to the same end. When Pilate got there, a few days later he found out that this Jesus of Nazareth was indeed causing problems. At least the people around him were causing problems. He was brought to him with the accusation he was making trouble in the city. That he was putting together a revolution that he was talking against the Caesar. He was proclaiming another king. And in order to keep the peace, Pilate did what he came to do, and he ordered his crucifixion. Rome doesn't put up with things like that. Rome is there to keep things peaceful. Rome is there to keep people under subjection And if this man's causing trouble, what's one more execution? Pilate had ordered hundreds, maybe thousands of executions. So one more didn't matter to him. And even though he didn't even believe this guy was a troublemaker, 
as Scripture attests. The people around him were causing trouble. So to keep the peace, Jesus was crucified. Jesus entered the city to submit to crucifixion. Because he knew that that was the only way that real peace could enter that city. He knew that that was the only way that real peace could come into the lives of people not only at that time, but people of our time as well. Both processions, both parades, as different as they were, came with something in common, the desire for peace. Both processions led to the same event. Which leads us to the question I want us to deal with just for a moment here. Which vision of peace do we buy into? Which procession or parade would we have gone to? You know, I like to kind of enter into Scripture and let it ask me questions. And if these two parades happened on the same day, we don't know that, but they were somewhat close together. But let's just pretend for a moment that they're happening at the same time. From the east comes Jesus. From the west comes Pilate. And you're in the city and someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you know that prophet, that priest, that teacher, that, 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 that guy from Galilee? He's riding in on a donkey and there's a bunch of really ragtag people out there screaming and yelling and making all this scene and all that. And they're taking off their clothes and throwing him before... Do you want to go see that? You might think, well, yeah, that's something to go see. But then someone else comes and says, Pilate is coming. Wow. Let's go look at the Roman troops. Let's go see the tanks drive by. Let's see the missiles drive by. Let's see all the power of Rome as it enters in to Jerusalem. Which one would you judge to be the most significant? Which one would you judge to be the one that impacted you the most? I don't know which one I would have gone to. I do know that we still know the peace that Rome brings. We still understand that kind of peace. We understand that there are times in which peace has to be enforced and even by power. For in many ways, not always, but in many ways, our own nation fulfills the role of Rome at times. The world looks to us to bring peace through force. And I'm not saying that may not be necessary. I don't know. But I know I understand that. I know that sometimes someone has to stand up and say no. But do we understand, Stitt, the peace that Christ brings The kind of peace that comes through the love and mercy and forgiveness of God. As Jesus entered, the people were crying out, peace in heaven, peace in the highest. Which is kind of interesting because this is at the end of Luke. At the beginning of Luke, another multitude cried out, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But Jesus knows they still haven't got it. Did you hear that very last part that we read about when Jesus makes the turn? 
There's a turn on the road coming down. This road is still there. You can still walk this road. And as you make a turn right there, there is a little chapel that's been built, by the way. First service didn't get this. There's a little chapel that's been built right there in the shape of a teardrop. Because that's where they know Jesus began to cry over the city. Because as you make that turn, you can look out over the city of Jerusalem and see it for the first time in your descent. And Jesus begins to cry and he says these words. He says, oh, Jerusalem. By the way, do you know what Jerusalem means? City of peace. Hmm. Maybe there's a message somewhere in this. He cries out, if you, if only you had even recognized today the things that really make for peace. But the things that make for peace seem to be hidden from your eyes. Are they hidden from ours? Later that week, Jesus is talking to his apostles and he says, I'm going to leave my peace with you. It's my kind of peace. It's not the same kind of peace that Pilate broke, brought. He says, it's not the peace that this world brings, but it's the kind of peace that comes to you from my Father, and it is my gift to you. And then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. Later on, Paul talks to us about that kind of peace in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified, since through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, we have been made right with God. Since because of Jesus submitting himself to crucifixion, we experience the love and the mercy and the grace of God, and we are made right with him. We can stand in his presence knowing that the righteousness of Christ has washed over us and that God loves us. He says, since... We are justified by faith. Guess what? We have peace with God. Paul got it. Paul realized that he could take a deep breath and he could experience to the fullest what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. In Ephesians Paul keeps talking about this peace. It's one of his favorite topics to talk about. And in talking about the peace that Jesus brought into our lives, he talks to each one of us here. Because for some of us here, we, we know that peace. Some of us here feel close to that peace. But there are others of us that wonder if we're so far away that we can never truly experience what Jesus brought to settle us down and to realize that we are okay with God. Listen to what Paul says to those of us who are near and those of us who are far off. So Jesus came, and he proclaimed peace to you. He proclaimed it to those who are far off. He proclaimed it to those who are near. For through him, both of us, all of us, have access in one spirit, to the Father. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he brought peace. He brought peace not only to the hearts of those people who would but embrace him, but he brings peace to us as well. In a world full of chaos, 
In a world where we wring our hands over what our government can do to bring peace to this world, we continue to pray that God can use us as a nation to do that. But Jesus is here calling and saying, you can have your peace right now. You can have your peace that in your heart you know that you and God are father and son and daughter, that you know you are loved by him, that you are his child. And the words of Jesus will echo in your heart in times of trouble and in times of stress. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Let's stand and sing.